We are and always will be a nation of immigrants. This is my country, my damn country. Give me my country, you can keep the rest. Old men and women yearning for freedom and opportunity who leave their homelands and come to a new country to start their lives over. We were strangers once too. Hello, 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 aliens and allies. Your friendly Russian is here. This is We the Aliens podcast. I'm your host, Sasha Kapustina, and here I talk to immigrants who are kicking ass in the U.S. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome if you're new. Happy Women's History Month. We are starting off with a bang. My guest this week is Zara Berry. She is a first-generation British-American. I know what you're thinking. Brits don't count. Well, guess what? They do. Even Canadians count as immigrants. We do not discriminate here, not by distance, not by language. A lost home feels the same to everyone. So, back to my guest. Zara is a former senior sex and dating writer for Elite Daily. She has penned over 3,000 articles, and recently she has launched CrazyBadBabesClub.com, a wellness publication for bad girls. Together with Dana Troisi, she hosts the Girls Interrupted podcast, and the ladies describe it as not a wellness podcast, but a mental illness podcast. According to Zara's official bio, she identifies as a mascara lesbian and lives beyond her means in New York. I know, it all feels and sounds very girl-heavy, and it feels like that to me too, but there's more and there's a reason, so stick around. Zara's first book came out in May of last year, and I listened to it twice. I never thought I would, honestly. The book is called Girl Stop Passing Out in Your Makeup, The Bad Girl's Guide to Getting Your Shit Together. And I never, I mean, never fall asleep in my makeup. I also thought that my need for wisdom about sex, dating, and mental health was satisfied by Brene Brown and Esther Perel. I really did. Who would have thought that who I actually wanted to listen to was a foul-mouthed New York neurotic lesbian girl? But she talked to a part of me that hasn't been talked to in a while. And guess what? I'm pretty sure you have that part of you, even if you're a guy. You might not like that part of yourself. You might diminish it or even disregard that younger, messier, more confused and arrogant version of you. But it's still in there. And Zara gives it a voice. Also, full disclosure, Zara is my sister-in-law. And I'm super proud. Here's part one of our conversation. Usually my first question is, when did your family come here and where did they come here from? My mother came here, I would say in her early, early 20s. She came here, um, actually, definitely not legally. She came here, um, she was a model in, in England and she grew up in Nigeria and Pakistan and Indonesia so, you know, going to England already was a big change from how she grew up, going to London. And then she had the bug, I think, of like, you know, the Western bug and uh, wanted to take it further. So she came to New York with her sister and a couple of her best friends. They were all bunnies, uh, Playboy bunnies. They all worked at the bunny club in London and they came here to, on vacation and mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> did not end up going back. And uh, so that's how my mom got here. And then on my dad's side, his grandmother, I think, came from Poland. 
they were Jews. So we're Jewish immigrants. They came through Ellis Island in New York. And if you go to Ellis Island, you can see their name on the wall. They have all the names of the immigrants who came through. And that's also why people in New York, New York Jews, hold on to their Jewish cultural identity because apparently when you came through Ellis Island, they would say, oh, you're from Russia, but they would put under ethnicity if you were Jewish, Russian Jew, Polish Jew. Hmm. So when people say like, oh, you know, being Jewish isn't, um, you know, it's a religion, it's not an ethnicity for New Yorkers, it actually is. <laughs> oh, it definitely is. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it's such a different culture, you know, it's such a specific culture and the Jews all lived in the same neighborhood and they all lived in, you know, the Bronx and Queens. And so how did her Englishness, <laughs> uh, how did it impact you? Because the way you describe it in the book, it all feels like very cool and fun, but I'm not sure that has always been the case. Right. Um, well, I, I feel like it's totally impacted me. I mean, my mom is not one of those English people I don't even know if there are any English people like this, but she's not one of those English people that tried to become an American. Um, mm. She really stayed true to her English spirit, her English humor. And I was also raised by all my aunts as well, and they're all English. So my mom's the kind of person when she moves somewhere, she gets everybody to move with her. So like her best friends moved, her sisters moved, her she moved her parents here. You know, when she had the money, she moved them. Because it's a really, you know, America's a great, place, uh, I think for older people, some, you know, depending obviously on what's going on politically, very, much very depending. depending, but she was in a privileged position because, you know, she married someone and she had some money and she wanted them to be like in California, as opposed to like freezing in, in England. I was raised super, super, super English. Even when I was little, I had like a slight lilt in my accent. I was definitely made fun of in school for that. Um, But it was always something that I I liked and was proud of um, being English. But there are some cultural things that are tough. Like what? England is very different than America and people do not realize how different it is. Europe in general is so different. And whether you consider England to be Europe, it's just... <laughs> Which is a whole separate thing. Right, it's a whole other thing. But it's just very different. Like Americans are very, very um, open, mm -hmm. uh, emotional. People, you know, sort of spill their heart and their guts out when you first meet them. Mm -hmm. um, and English people are not like that. English people are much more dry. The humor is more dry. Uh, I want to say very sort of sarcastic. Uh, it's all about taking the piss out of each other. They're not sensitive. They don't talk about their feelings. But the only person I have ever gotten that feel in your family is Aunt Marie. Oh, yeah. My Aunt Marie is very, like, English. She is very closed. She's got the driest sense of humor. She has toilet yeah. humor, all that stuff. My, my mom and her other sister are much, are very open for English people. But I will say that they're not vulnerable hmm. like Americans. Like, hmm. they are very hard to, they've never been to therapy. They're like, why would I go to therapy? You know what I mean? Whereas hmm. every American is like, yeah, of course, like, Everyone's dabbled in therapy, especially in New York, you know, where I grew <laughs> It was very normal. Like everyone was in therapy, but my mom was like, never, ever done that. And what is the rationale behind that? Like, I don't need it. So it's for weaklings or what, what is the... I think so. I think it's like England has a very much of a culture of like, pull up your boots. Come on, then get yourself together. It's fine. You know, like they don't. 
They're not like, you know, oh, maybe I should look into this. Maybe I should look into this phobia. <laughs> like we're very curious in America, especially where I'm from. And one of the things that's so interesting about America, there's so many different Americas, but where I come from, New York, the tri-state area, it's very, like, people are very curious about their mental health. People are very an analytical and intellectual. Like, you ever seen Woody Allen movies? I know he's a predator and everyone hates him, but like seeing his movies, I, his movies are so amazing, um, that are about New York, everyone's always analyzing and talking and figuring it out. And like, that's how I grew up. And I love that part about being from New York. I think that's why I loved Woody Allen movies because I needed that. Russia is in a way similar to Britain. And when, I, when my grandmother found out that I'm in therapy, she was like, oh my God, are you crazy? Right, like, exactly. Like serious, serious concern. <laughs> I mean, it's changing right now. Right, right. Yeah. It's changing in England too, but it's, it's that stiff upper, they call it the British stiff upper lip. And like, even in England, if you ask someone, if they don't feel well and you offer them an Advil, they're like, no. And I always joke with my English friends. I'm like, oh, I forgot British people like to suffer. You know, there's a very like staunch thing. It's pride. Well, and there is something to that. Totally. I mean, I, I think that we take it way too far in America with the handholding and we're so easily offended and we sue and we do all these like emotional reactions. I think it served me to have like a mom that's a little tough. You know, to be like, mm -hmm. oh, come on, you've got to put your lipstick on and get on the stage. You know, like I never was allowed to be sick from school kind of thing. You know, you go to school unless you're dying. You go to school. I do feel like I got from the British side because my dad's side is super neurotic. <laughs> <laughs> my dad is so neurotic, emotional, all of it. You know, he's like sensitive, you know, like me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So. I'm glad. I think it served me to have like a mom that's like, does not put up with bullshit and doesn't indulge, <laughs> you know, even if sometimes I wish she had when in the moment, you know? Yeah, no, it's a good combo. I feel like, and I always the thought of Lynn and I even say that, uh, that she's the most well-adjusted person I've ever met. She manages to connect without really breaking her boundaries. I was like, you took the words out of my mouth. That's exactly it. Which is like, how do you do that? <laughs> I don't know. Sasha, I don't know. Like, I can't do it. I can't, you know, I'm like all in or all out. Like, I don't know what it's like to have like a healthy boundary. She's so, my mother is so healthy, physically, yeah. mentally tough, you know, like puts her mind to something, does it. And I think that that is just British. And I think there's some Viking in there or something. There's got to be. I don't think they make humans like that anymore. I think it's like 1940s edition and, and it was a limited series. Um, I have to tell you because I feel like this is explains my mom so well. So we're both really into the Wim Hof breathing thing. Tell me about it. Yes, she told me about it and she told me to get into it. It's amazing, but it's this breathing exercise that you do with this. I got her into it and I've created a monster. This guy Wim Hof, <laughs> they call him the Iceman and he's like all about cold plunges and breath work. And I got her into, I got her the app and you hold your breath for like three, four minutes, she's up to 10. What? I'm like, you're a sociopath. I'm like, how? And she's like, I could keep going, but I have to stop myself because like, I'll probably die. But she's like, I could keep going. Like, it's easy for her. She's a full on Viking. Now that explains it. Yeah, I think there's <laughs> some serious Viking. <laughs> but going back to childhood, how was it to have a British mom? Was it a cool thing or was it a weird thing? I think when I was really little, like all little kids, she told me, and I don't remember this. I don't have a recollection of being embarrassed by it. 
Um, but apparently I was, she told me that I told her not to speak with English accent in front of my friends. Oh my God. And I remember too, going to school and people being like, are you Christian or Jewish? And being like, I'm half, you know, cause my mom's Christian. She's not religious. Neither of my parents are, but just technically Christian. Mm-hmm. And she'd be like, you're half. And, and, and everyone in school would be like, you can't be half a religion. You know, like it doesn't work like that. So I'd be like, can you guys just pick a side? <laughs> you know? Um, cause I think when you're little, you really just want to fit in. You just want to I did at least I wasn't, you know, and then around seventh grade, sixth grade, it kind of, you know, my, I had a cool mom. I think that also changes things. Like I had an extremely cool, beautiful, fun mom. So I was never really embarrassed by her because it just made, got me attention. <laughs> you know, everyone was always like, your mom's so hot. Your mom's so cool. She's so cool that she's English. And then it kind of English people do very well in America. Like Americans are very charmed by the accent and the humor, especially like a beautiful English girl. So if anything, I just always saw it as, as a plus. I know that's not like a nice, I, it would be great to have like a dramatic story that I was embarrassed, but I wasn't. I was like, this is awesome. Well, I think that that illustrates the other side of that's the immigrant story. Right, right. And it's a very white privileged one. Like I recognize it's extraordinarily privileged. Like if, if she came from a place, you know, where we looked really, that British people look a lot like Americans, they don't stick out, you know, like the classic, when you think of like girl next door, blonde hair, blue eyed, which is not really what America looks like, but you know, in movies as portrayed until recently in TV, I'm way more of a misfit. Like my mom looks like when she was modeling, they called her the California girl. And so that that was my next question. Like, what were you more, uh, what was making you more other, your background as a daughter of immigrant or something else? Something else. I think, it, you know, um, I felt other for sure growing up, which is connected to sexuality, you know, being LGBTQ, you know, something's different about you. Um, also, I just grew up in a very preppy place and I was never that way like I just came out of the womb kind of like alternative and punk and uh, I was kind of, I was the only one you know I don't think I felt I was never teased for having like an English mom like I have other friends from other cultures that were just made fun of like friends from Asia you know like they got made fun of from their for their accents or you go over to their house and like you know the culture is different you take your shoes off you do that so I didn't have that, you know, mm-hmm. so I, I don't want to ever pretend like I had that experience. And that's what, why I was actually interested in that, because there's a diversity of immigrant experiences and diversity of of ways that you go through it. And also your mom is an absolutely unique person <laughs> and uh, the way she went through her immigration is and also it was a very different time. It was a very different time. And also, I think, you know, uh, she my mother also grew up in non-Western cultures you know she grew up in Africa and she didn't have a normal high school experience so she that part she never understood high school she never understood bullying because she never experienced it she was so sheltered um growing up in those countries you know where girls have to cover their heads and you don't have boyfriends and they were the others they they actually called my mom and her sisters the others Mm. um so I think that also growing up you know uh British in Nigeria and Pakistan uh, and non-Muslim in those countries too, where everyone was, was Muslim, she's very adaptable. You know, if you can get through that in your formative years and like have a great experience, this international great experience, your best friends, you know, a Muslim girl who covers her head and is getting married at 16 and you still find something to have in common with her and your community, uh, 
then coming to America, it's like she could do anything. She can go anywhere. Yeah. Well, and I feel when I joined the family, I feel that for me, that was one of those things that I recognized immediately is that your family was very accepting of all kinds of international people and international friends. And um, that was something that I did not expect of an American family. Right. I mean, I don't think all American families are like that. I think that, you know, it really comes from my mom being so traveled and it was something that was so ingrained in us at a young age. Like I was always friends with the foreign exchange students. I was always friends with it. I've always been drawn to international people. I think, you know, my friend group, I it was like, I just love, I just love people from all places. Because at the time when I was growing up, there was so much racism towards immigrants. And I know there is now, I'm not saying that there isn't, but now it's like talked about. It wasn't talked about. Like if kids were from, you know, Mexico and had accents, everyone was so mean to them. And people made fun and did impressions of like, you know, there was quite a bit of Asians that I grew up with. And like, people just made so much fun of them and were so horrible. And like, I was never, that is one thing I never did because my mom would rather me like do drugs, get caught with drugs. Than, and I, I get that than make fun of somebody for like, you know, the color of their skin or their accent or anything like that. And I realized like, I don't, not all my friends were raised with that kind of ethics. I mean, we see it in the country now, how people are like, get off my land, you know? I can't believe it. Like, it, it's just so different to how I was raised. Yeah, no, it's interesting how we encounter different worlds. Like we grow up, we don't realize how sheltered we grow up. And then we come into the real world and it's like, oh, all those things actually do exist. Like I've never faced anti-Semitism. Right. Until I joined TikTok. Really? Yeah. What happened? Big time. Like what kind of people are uh, out there? I think. A lot of them are Russians or Russian or Ukrainians or Ukrainian Americans. So much anti-Semitism there. Well, the, the, the funniest thing was most recently I posted a video about cooking borscht. The I love soup. borscht. I wrote like Russian soup and all these Ukrainians, I thought they're going to attack me for putting ginger in it because it's not supposed to have ginger in it, of course. And I call it California borscht. Uh, and they attacked me for saying that borscht is Russian. And they're like, no, it's Ukrainian. And I'm like, gosh, like Eastern European tribes have been cooking beet soup since before there were countries. Right. <laughs> like, I understand the grief and the pain Russia Russia has caused the surrounding countries, specifically Ukraine, and the genocidal policies that existed. But come on, leave borscht out of it. Leave borscht <laughs> out of it. You should make shirts that say that. <laughs> like we can, we can eat borscht together. Yes, yeah. that's, that's really something that can connect us. Why use it to disconnect it? And right. You know, the <laughs> only um, time I ever experienced anti—well, I've experienced it a couple times. Um, I experienced it in college could not believe that in New York City. But wow. uh, yeah, in acting school too. I'm like, this that's the most Jewish thing in the world to go to acting school in Manhattan and you're really going to come at me with anti-Semitism? Like, go back to fucking Bumblefuck. But um, I experienced it in England from a Russian girl. She was asking where what my background was. 
because she said I looked Russian. And I said, yeah, I do. I have Russian and Eastern European background. And then and we were out having drinks and this girl was really cold, but somehow took a liking to me. And then she said something like, somehow the Jewish thing came up. I said, oh, my dad's a New York Jew. And she goes, oh, you're Jewish. Then you're actually not Russian at all. And then it got yes. really weird. And then she never talked to me again. I was like, this is so surreal. Like, tell me I'm like overreacting or like I'm misunderstanding. And they were like, no. No, you're not. And it's crazy thing because that's exactly what people are telling me because the, the TikTok channel that I'm doing is ask your friendly Russian. And so all those anti-Semites are jumping at me and telling me, you're not Russian. Don't speak for Russia. You know nothing. Jew. Jeez. Uh, Jew traitor. All that stuff. And I'm like, my last name means cabbage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm less than half Jewish. I can't do anything with my face, but I didn't, I didn't grow up Jewish. I grew up actually very protective from my Jewish heritage for my dad's own, you know, personal reasons with that. But he wanted to protect me from anti-Semitism. And so he told me and I was brought up Russian. So whenever I'm told I'm Jewish, I'm like, yeah, that's my face. <laughs> that's where. <laughs> but you don't get to choose. And that's the crazy thing. You don't decide this part of identity for yourself. No, no. People decide for you what to hate you for. Right, right. Like, there's nothing I believe, like, I, I love and I'm proud to be Jewish, but I don't, on a religious end, I, I don't believe in any of it. Like, I'm not religious. I don't have a religious bone in my body. And it's like, it, that doesn't matter. Like, that doesn't, that doesn't matter at all to people. That's why Judaism is an ethnicity. I, we've been viewed as an ethnicity forever, you know? Even though we are all kinds of different ethnicities, too. I know, I know. And you see that when you go to Israel, you know, you're like, wow, there's so many different kinds of my people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's a bizarre. And when we're all hated. Um, totally, totally. And then we also hate on each other, too. So it's even more fun. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, going back to your Britishness, though, right around when I joined the family, you moved to UK. What prompted that? It was a career move, not a good one, <laughs> didn't work out, but uh, I was an actor, I used to be an actor and uh, I was kind of in a standstill in my career and I had some family friends that were also actors in England and they were like, you know, you have uh, British citizenship, it, you would do such a, you would fill a great niche for yourself to have all the paperwork to be English, work in English TV legally, but have an authentic American accent, you know? And I think I was 24 and I just had a breakup or no, maybe even younger, 23. And I'd saved all this money from this Fair Minerals beauty tour I had gone on. So I had this weirdly like a lot of cash. And I just thought, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to, I'm going to try it. And uh, I tried it. <laughs> it didn't this stick. How was it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, talk about feeling other. Like that was a tough experience. Um you know, being a New York girl, I we are very friendly in New York. And then before that, I lived in LA. I moved to LA when I was 17. And LA is also, you know, we can talk shit about LA and New York all the all day long. But one thing that I will always defend is people are pretty like open to new friends. Yes. Because everybody came from somewhere else. Exactly. Everyone's a transplant. Everyone's looking to build a family like with friends. So 
um, I was very used to, you know, LA, I moved there not knowing anybody, but just took an acting class, ended up with like an instant best friend from acting class. And then she introduced, and everyone just open and wants friends. Um, and same with New York. And England is not like that. Like England is, English people are very shy. They're kind, but they're shy. And you don't just meet someone at the dog park. And then all of a sudden you're having like margaritas in their apartment, like I'm used to. So I thought I'd have no trouble making friends because um, I've moved around. I'd moved around a lot for my age. And uh, I was going in with a job and it was like really, really hard. Like people make plans two months in advance. You know, like <laughs> I'm not like that. That's not my culture. I'd yeah. ask girls I worked with to get a coffee. They'd laugh at me. I mean, it ends up becoming like a funny thing. Like, oh, there she is being an, an American wanting to go get coffee. Like we don't do that here kind of thing. And if you're not English, you know, it's, it's like hard to break in. You know, I had English friends, but they had their own lives and their own little groups. And I just felt like I was very, uh, also very open about like mental health and, and talk, I talk about sex. I'm just very open. And that is like weird there, you know, you, so it was you too much. Adorably too much. Yeah. Yeah. Too much. Exactly. Exactly. So I always felt like I had to sort of water myself down a little bit. And uh, I was very lonely, very lonely. And the weather is is tough too, I think. Oh yeah. The grayness, well, if you're a I depressed think... person naturally. <laughs> well, tell me about it. I grew up in Moscow where it's uh, gray six months out of 12 at, at least. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's hard. But uh, I think that experience of loneliness, that is something that every uh, immigrant goes through. But when you went there, did you did you feel that you were making a move for good? Or was that just to, oh, I'm going to go check it out and see how it goes? I think a part of me wanted to make it a move for good. You know, I thought I was going to love it. I've visited so many times. I have so many English friends. And also there is something like we talked about with my mom being like, English people do like Americans, you know, if you're a polite American, you know, so, so I thought like, oh, you know, maybe I'll have something different. I thought with my career too. Also, as soon as I got there though, I realized I actually really learned to appreciate America, to be honest. I was so like, you know, America's, you know, I just had so much to say about America all the time. And then I really realized why people really come to America because if you break it down and I know it's like, it's, it's completely like there's so many problems with this and a lot of it is an illusion, but you can really come from nothing and make something of your life in America. You know, the American dream. And I know it's flawed and I know it's not perfect, but in England, it's not, other countries, it's not like that. Like people, Americans are so ambitious, like, you know, and especially coming from the acting world. It's like, everybody just wanted to hustle and make their dreams come true. And people were openly like, I want to be famous. I want to write movies. I want to do this. And so I come, I came with that attitude that when you want to get the job, you talk passionately about how good you're going to be at this job and you sell yourself, Americans sell yourself. And they don't do that there. You know, they, I think oh, they were like no. freaked out when I did that in my interview, you know, they were like, whoa, you know, and I talked to other girls I worked with, I, I worked at a beauty counter at Selfridges, which is talk about an amazing international experience. You've, that's the, you know, one of the biggest department stores in Europe and you have people from all over the world going every different culture, you know? So I really got like, it was like Disneyland of culture, you know, I was working with 
people from the Middle East. I was working with people from Russia, China, everywhere. And like, we took seven currencies. So it was this amazing learning experience, but I talked to the girls. I'd be like, well, what do you want to do? Like big picture in your life. And they're like, this, this, this is fine. And I'm like, do you love it? They're like, it's a job. And I'm like, what? Like I come from this world where you should be passionate about your job and wanting more and, and ambition. And, and I like that. Yeah. You know, I don't like just accepting and going to work, voting it in and then coming. And that's what my friends in England all did. They're like, yeah, leave at five, go to the pub, get up and do it over again. And I'm like, but wait, don't you want like more? Don't you want to be your own boss? You know? Yeah. Well, I, I definitely relate to that because I come from Russia, which has a similar uh, attitude. It, it is even kind of darker, maybe, because maybe in UK, a person who does the nine to five and lives a more or less comfortable life and, you know, society is stable and people feel protected. Uh, whereas in Russia, you kind of toughen it out in a similar way, but you also know that you are not protected and shit can hit the fan at any given moment and you better be prepared for that. Um, and it will be shit hitting the fan. It will not be a pound of gold. <laughs> and, and so I come from that attitude of nothing good will ever happen and don't you even bother hustling or trying. I mean, Moscow is a little bit different, but, but it's also, it still has that under, undercurrent of it can be all taken away from you. Yeah, you can hustle, but you better stock it somewhere because it may be taken away from you. Interesting. How do you think that impacts people's like happiness and mental health? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of you live in an oppressed situation, not be, not only because it's a, an oppressive regime and whatever, you are kind of oppressing yourself from from inside because you um, you have such low expectation of, of life. Right. You have all the historic uh, proof of things are going to go wrong. And you look back at your family four generations and yeah, you're like, yeah, things are not going to go well. Right, uh, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And that's what you expect and that's what you live with. And then, yeah, I mean, no surprise, there's the the alcoholism is through the roof. Right. And no surprise, suicide is through the roof. Right. Um, and of course, that is kind of like self-perpetuating thing. The one thing I do think that that, that is not necessarily bad is that is that the exact same thing is that Americans kind of have this expectation of happiness. Yes. Yeah. And there's so much pressure to be happy. Yes. And of course, in the era of social media, it's only amplified and, and worsened. And you talk a lot about that uh, in your work and, and uh, in your writing um, that, you know, Russians don't expect to be happy. Right. We don't have the pursuit of happiness in our constitution. When I, I went to law school and we studied it, in American constitution as part of whatever international uh, constitutional law. And we literally laughed, like the whole class laughed when teachers said that you guys have pursuit of happiness. We're like, yeah, right. You guys, you guys are funny. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's really funny if you think about it. Yeah, it's, it's so true. And I mean, they used to say to me at the beauty counter all the time, Zara, stop smiling so much. You're scaring off the Arabs. <laughs> and Russians. I, exactly. Exactly. And it, it became a joke. And, and that's one thing I love about British culture is you just make fun of each other. And I'm very much that way. It's very loving. It never felt mean. But yeah, the girls are always like, all right, Zara, she's, she's smiling too hard, you know? And it's, yeah, it's true. We do have this pressure to be happy and to make something of our lives. And our identity is so connected 
to our work, which I think is unhealthy. I think that one thing that, you know, in Europe, I, I know it's really extreme in, in Russia, but in general, you have a separate identity outside of your work. That's why those girls were like, yeah, this is just one part of my life. Whereas growing up feeling like your work defines you and your failure if you don't become an entrepreneur or something like that. And it's also extremely in my blood because my family are immigrants that came here with nothing and made something of their lives yeah. with no college yeah. degree, no silver spoon, you know, made big things. So that pressure is built into me, I think, genetically, you know, this ambition yeah. to do because my mom doesn't have that. She's not she doesn't put pressure on herself with her career, you know, at all. I've never seen her stress about it a day in her life. So because <laughs> oh, she was a Winston model. She was. And she said, like, she could have done so much more even with modeling, but she just never really cared. And uh, everyone that I know, regardless of where they come from, and I have a very diverse group of friends, because, again, New York gives you that. Everyone, especially children of immigrants, are very ambitious. Yeah. Yeah. You know, your parents came here for you to do this. So you better get perfect grades. You better make something of your of your life. Yeah. And there's there, there's definitely that pressure. And as immigrant myself, I I put that pressure on myself, right? Because I never wanted to be an immigrant. And then when I became one, I was like, okay, I don't want to waste my life on just being an immigrant, just for my kids, right? I want to still make something out of myself. And so that became a whole separate uh, stress. And that is when I, for the first time in my life, encountered. Um, the other side sort of of uh, American society with which is elitist in its own way. And while there is this whole, you know, more seemingly more egalitarian kind of marketing, <laughs> the American dream is the most successful marketing tool uh, uh, and uh, employee recruitment tool in human history. People come here from all over the world with this hope that they, if they work hard, they can get there. Whereas, yes, and it is likely that you will pay a much higher price than you think you were prepared. Totally. Um, and I found that American society is elitist in its own way. And so I want to ask you, because I know that you didn't go to a fancy school. No. Uh, I want to transition to, to your career and to your writing. And I want to talk about uh, how you made your way into, into that world that is very elitist. Like if you didn't go to Harvard, Yale or something, uh, you, who are you? Exactly. You know, I thought acting as a career was like a sort of a bloodbath of elitism, you know, um, it used to be so, I mean, it still is, but it used to be worse, I think, with like nepotism, you know, celebrity kids, producer. I just used to think, how can I compete with these people that, you know, have all these connections and this and that. I thought it was a bloodbath until I got into um, publishing, which is a whole other thing. It's a whole other level of competition that I did not realize. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Tune in on Thursday for part two of the interview where we talk about Zara's path as a writer. Follow Zara on Instagram. Check out the crazybadbabesclub.com 
and get her book. All the links are in the show notes. Let us know what you think about the podcast. Shoot us a message. All the contact info and links are also in the show notes and on our website. I am now on Clubhouse. So come find me and join our Wheelie Aliens rooms Tuesday morning and Thursday evening. We are going to be starting a club soon. And don't forget to share the show with a friend. I don't know, someone who falls asleep in their makeup, someone who's considering going back to their parents' home country, or someone who has a teenage or young adult daughter because they should get Zara's book for their daughter. And I mean that not as an ad, but as a PSA. Honestly, if I had a daughter, I would have gotten her this book. I wish someone got me that book 10 years ago. Anyway, just click share and text your friend a link to the podcast. Let them know you're thinking about them and help us grow the show. And remember, we're here to stay. We'll find our way. Thank you for listening. Have a great week. Double mask if you're indoors. Love y'all. Peace. This is my country, my damn country, and it don't mean a thing.